0: amen if you have your Bibles with you or a Bible app I invite you to join me in Philippians chapter 1 we're looking this morning at verses 27 to 30 Philippians 1 verses 27 to 30 we're four weeks into our three-month consideration of Paul's love letter to the Christians in Philippi And this week, Paul challenges the Philippians and us to live lives worthy of our connection to Christ. I'll begin reading now in chapter 1, verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, Lord God, we give you praise and thanks for who you are. We thank you for your presence in this world and your presence in our lives. We acknowledge that as we've gathered to worship today that you are here. And we are so very thankful for your presence among us. In these next few minutes, as we turn our attention toward this text, I ask that you give each of us eyes to see just what you want us to see. I pray that we would have hearts that are soft and ready to receive whatever you choose to reveal. And I pray we would have conviction that is strong so we can live this out every day. I pray all of these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Philippians 1, 27 to 30, just four verses as we slowly make our way through this book that is packed with powerful insights into life and living in God's way. Let's start this morning talking just for a moment about persecution, because Paul is talking about persecution and suffering to some extent in these verses. If we're going to talk about persecution, though, we have to ask ourselves an honest question. Are we being persecuted for our faith? Are you and I, in the year 2023, living in the United States of America, are we being persecuted for our faith? In Christ, I think if we're honest in our assessment of the kind of persecution Paul was undergoing and the kind of persecution that the Philippian Christians are undergoing, or even the kind of persecution that other people in the world today in other places in this world are experiencing, our answer would probably be no. We're not really being persecuted in that way because of our faith, because of the stance that we have. We enjoy tremendous freedoms to practice our faith, to sit in a place like this and worship. And every time we read about persecution, we're reminded of that. And we should celebrate all of these freedoms that we have. But Paul also speaks in these verses about standing against something or someone and of resisting something or someone. And in a sense, there's a little bit of struggle that goes with that. When we take a stand against something or we resist something in this world, we engage in some of that struggle and some of that suffering. It's true that the society that we live in doesn't share all of the same values that our faith does or the ways that we've been called to live by Christ himself. And so I think that taps into some of what Paul is sharing here and some of the struggle that we might come across in our life as we live our faith. One interesting thing about these four verses, in I'd say about half of the commentaries that I read as I was preparing the message this week, the commentator would begin to talk about war. They would would use this metaphor, this imagery of war. We're warriors, and we're going to battle, and we need to beware of the enemy, and I was reading all the way through that, and I kept going back to the text and saying, I don't see it. I don't see Paul talking about war, but it's fascinating how often war gets laid on top of the teaching that comes out of the scriptures. It's like it's a motivational technique. If, if they can just get our attention to talk about war and battle, well, then we've got to really be careful when we're engaged with this thing. But the truth is, Paul doesn't seem to be going for that. Paul's talking about some of the struggles in life, and then he's just urging Christians to live faithfully. Not to fight against anyone or anything, but to live for all of the purposes and values that Jesus himself has given us. And that's part of what Paul talks about in this section when he tells us to be good citizens. Did you see that in the text? Where Paul said to be good citizens? You probably didn't because the word citizen isn't anywhere in our English Bibles, but I want to give you a, just a really short Greek lesson this morning if you're up for it. Are ya? Yeah. Verse 27 says this, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's the sentence that has the word citizen in it. Do you see it now? No. Okay, let's look at that Greek word up on the screen if we could. You see that word? It looks like it says polite, but I don't think that's the way we say it. It's politoiste. Poloiste is that Greek word up there. And it's a word that probably none of us are familiar with. It's a word that's only used two times in the entire New Testament. Once right here, and once when Paul's referring to the way he lives in a different place. But this word refers to citizenship. That's what this word is talking about. The word polis is in there, which refers to a city or a city-state, and what Paul is alluding to here is the pride of citizenship in their day. The NIV, in its attempt to translate this one Greek word, comes up with this, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy. That's just for that one Greek word. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy. And the manner worthy is the good citizenship that Paul is talking about in this place. And he says, whatever happens, no matter your suffering, no matter the persecution, no matter the striving, no matter what you face, conduct yourselves in a manner that matches, a manner that's worthy of all of the values that Jesus has laid before us. Now Paul isn't talking about their Roman citizenship, although evidence suggests that they had tremendous pride in being Roman citizens in the city of Philippi. But what Paul's doing instead is capturing that pride and casting a whole new vision for citizenship in the kingdom of God. And so all the ways we would think about being a faithful citizen in our cities, in our states, in our nation, um, living according to its values taking pride in being connected to others who are also citizens, all of those concepts, Paul is now connecting to the kingdom of God. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have become a citizen of a brand new kingdom. And as a citizen, you have tremendous benefits, tremendous privileges, and responsibilities to live as a good citizen, representing the kingdom that you come from. That's the concept that Paul is talking about here. And I think if we look closer at our text, we can see that Paul offers three essentials for good uh, citizenship. Three essentials for good citizenship. I'm taking these three essentials from pastor and theologian Warren Weersby, who outlines this text and comes up with them. Now, Weersby was one of the ones that went the war direction with this. So he offers three essentials for victory. Don't think that way. Three essentials here for being a good citizen for being a a whole citizen, for being a faithful citizen of the kingdom of God. The first of these essentials, consistency. Consistency. Paul says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whether Paul is freed from prison or not, whether the Philippian Christians face persecution or not, whether our lives go as we've planned or not, consistently represent your king, who is Jesus. Everything we do, every word we say, will show the people around us something of God. Once we identify as a believer in Christ, we are going to be an example of Christ in this world, a good one or a bad one. We choose what to say, how to act, how to live, and it becomes a reflection to the world of who Jesus is. And why we would follow Jesus in the first place I love verse 27 in the message translation it says live in such a way that you are a credit to the message of Christ a credit to the message of Christ that's the way I want to live I want to live in a way that would take that would cause someone in this world who has zero interest whatsoever sitting in a worship service learning about Jesus or reading the Bible, to be intrigued enough at the beautiful and faithful way that I live and love in this world that they're interested to know more about Jesus. I want to be a credit to the gospel of Christ, a credit to the kingdom of God. And that's what Paul is encouraging all of us to do. And he wants us to do it with consistency. No matter what we face, In fact, I think when we face difficulties in this life, when we suffer, when we're disappointed, when things don't go the way we want, that becomes an even better time for us to be able to represent well the way that Jesus has called us to live. So consistency is number one. Number two, cooperation. Cooperation. Paul says, stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Be of one mind, of one spirit, with one goal in mind, and a word, be unified, Paul says. And then there are these words, striving and contending, that are used in here. And striving and contending are often used in athletic competition. A team of people is called together to contend side by side. I think that's the imagery that Paul's reaching for here. And just like you, every time I think of team sports, I think of pro cycling. Don't you? Yes. Yes. Tour de France, all those beautiful races that are going on all the time, that's always what I think of first when I think of a team. And the Tour de France, when it comes, every single team sends eight riders to be a part of a team. But those eight riders are not all similar to one another. They're all pro cyclists, they're all fit, but they all have different abilities and usually different disciplines. The team usually sends one primary sprinter. They are the one that they hope will win the most stages, and they have a lead out person who's also a sprinter but not quite as fast to help them in that pursuit. Then, there are those little tiny guys that are the mountain climbers, and they have a chance to win on the highest of the slopes. Then there are those who are time trial specialists, and they're built a totally different way and fit a totally different way. And then, finally, there's one person out of those eight who they identify as the one they hope can place the highest overall in the race at the end of the three weeks and the 21 stages that they ride. All of these diverse people come together to form one team, they all know their roles, They're all faithful in their preparation and in the racing itself and all with one goal in mind at the end it's a beautiful picture of contending side by side for the same purpose that's the vision that paul is calling us to in the church that we would have that same kind of unity that we would view the people who are a part of this church right here at fletcher hills as our teammates as people that we would work alongside And we would find joy in contending together for these purposes that Jesus has laid before us. There's rich variety. There's beautiful diversity in the body of Christ. But unity is still possible. Unity is not sameness. God hasn't called us all to be alike or look alike or live alike. He just wants us to contend for his causes together. And when you stop and think about it, what a beautiful privilege that is. So consistency and cooperation. Finally, confidence. Paul says, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Now, the confidence that Paul's talking about here isn't the brash overconfidence that we're so familiar with in this world, but instead it's a settled confidence, a courage that rises up within us, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I think empowered as well by the fact that we know how the story ends. We know how faithful our God is. And we know that no matter what we contend with in this world, there will come a day when we are welcomed home by our Heavenly Father to enjoy the fullness of all that we can only see dimly now. This confidence rises from that reality I think it's a David and Goliath sort of confidence, too. Do you remember that story, David and Goliath, when Goliath is out in the middle of the battlefield and he's taunting the Israelites and he's insulting God as he does so? And little David, who's no one big enough or strong enough to take on Goliath, finally just can't handle it anymore. He can't handle these insults that Goliath is hurling out and he says, I've had enough. I'm going to go out and take this guy on. There's this courage and confidence that comes in the face of all of those circumstances empowered by the Holy Spirit, and I think Paul is suggesting to us the same thing can be ours. We can live with this same quiet, settled confidence. And you know all of this stuff, this citizenship, it all has to do with the kingdom of God and the values that form the kingdom of God. Karl Barth made a really interesting observation about this particular passage. It's right up there on the screen. Christians do not strive against anybody, not for anybody either, but for the faith. Think on that just for a moment. Christians do not strive against anybody, not for anybody either, but for the faith. This goes back a little bit to that war idea and the battles that we sometimes talk about. And I think it's really easy to fall into the trap of sort of viewing the world that we live in as competition or identifying somebody or some organization as uh, the enemy who needs to be defeated. And when I look at all that Jesus taught us about living in this kingdom and I see the observation that Carl Barth makes, it reminds me, and I hope it reminds all of us, that we're not primarily against things in this world. We are for someone. We are for the kingdom of God, and we're for the values that Jesus brought. And the better we can get busy doing that, living for the right things in this world, the bigger blessing we are to the world around us, and the more accurately we represent our Savior and our King in living in that way. It's a beautiful concept to grab hold of and to hang on to. This means that the way we strive and the way we work in this world as good citizens is according to the kingdom and according to kingdom values. And those kingdom values, if we're beginning to question what they're all about, well, they were all handed to us in a manifesto. Jesus wrote a beautiful, well, he spoke a beautiful manifesto, and Matthew wrote it down. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, they are the values of the kingdom of God. And they're not all about parsing out different uh, shades of theology and nuances. And they're not about how we attack our enemies in this world. They're about how we live and love in the way of Jesus. This manifesto that can be summarized in love God with your whole heart and love your neighbor as yourself. That is what we have been called to do. And that is the way that we are good citizens of the kingdom of God in this world. I think it's as simple as that. But it can be a paradigm shift for us if we're so used to being against and so used to striving in different ways but what i see in paul's letter today is a beautiful invitation to set down a lot of the burdens we might have been carrying and didn't need to in the first place and instead just to focus on living according to these values knowing that we're already loved by god we've already been received we've already been placed in the family And living out this citizenship should be as natural as it comes because these are the values that characterize our God and the values that we've been called to as a community as well. And so let's join together to live for the kingdom. Let's do it with consistency, with cooperation, and with confidence, and let's delight along the way in the fact that as we live in that way, we are living lives that are worthy of our beautiful Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Let me pray. God, we thank you so much for a reminder of our citizenship that comes from today's text. We thank you that you've brought us in and made us these citizens. And we thank you that you've left us this beautiful manifesto in Matthew that shows us what those values are like. Set us free from burdens that we weren't meant to carry. Set us free from a mindset that always feels as if we are at war, that we are fighting against enemies, and instead, reinvite us into the beauty of living according to your values, of loving in the ways that you've challenged us to love, because as we do this, we know that we live lives worthy of you. I pray all of these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.